0: Welcome to Tigers Tonight, a podcast dedicated to University of Memphis Tiger football. Here's your host, John Maddox.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tigers Tonight. I'm your host, John Maddox, joined right now by the best co-host in all the land, the one and only Brian Moss. Brian, how in the world are you? I'm doing pretty good. I've been upgraded. I'm not a cocoa anymore right now. You're just, (laughs) yeah, one night only. Uh, Larry will be hopefully be along before we're done here. But uh, So before we get into the Navy game, some big conference realignment news uh, that will hopefully not for long, but will affect Memphis at least in the short term. Pete Thamel this afternoon tweeting out that the American Athletic Conference uh, will receive applications from Florida Atlantic University, Charlotte, North Texas, Texas, San Antonio, Rice, and UAB uh, later this week. And of course, when they get those applications, they will be more than happy to approve them. So that looks like the new uh, alignment for Conference USA, at least now, um, is yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, it's Conference, Conference USA 2.0. 2.0. Wow. Um, but so Brian, what are what are your first? Because I think I kind of caught you off guard with this news. What are kind of your first thoughts?
2: Yeah, the first thoughts were like Ugh. You know, just uh, sort of disappointed, um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure all that behind the scenes stuff, because like I told you, and I've, I've said it on air before, you know, I would have, you know, preferred to go after Coastal Carolina, Louisiana, you know, some of the Sunbelt schools, but maybe they, you know, Sunbelt schools are happier where they're at and, and didn't see a, a good fit in the AAC. But Happy State's another one I would have went after, Liberty But, uh, you know, some of these I I can understand some and some I'm just like, you know, I'm scratching my head. UTSA to me is a no brainer. I can understand why you want FAU because of Florida and and recruiting. Uh, You know, Rice is a head scratcher to me. UAB, I understand. Charlotte's a head scratcher. So, you know, all in all, it's still just a head scratcher because I I thought the AAC really could have, you know, helped their football.
1: You know, uh, you know, side out a little bit more than what uh, eventually is coming. You know, and it looks like uh, the overtures towards Air Force and Colorado State and San Diego State and Boise that kind of went unrequited, it uh, looks like they made the right call because now if this goes to fruition, and again, if, if the nuts were candy and all that stuff, but uh, – as this goes along, if what we've all been told is going to happen and Memphis moves to the Big 12 and maybe I still think SMU ends up in the Big 12 somehow, uh, you, you know, now you've basically – I think you've gutted Conference USA. And if you're a Southern Miss, why would you stay in Conference USA and Louisiana Tech probably to this extent as well. Why are you going to stay in Conference USA – when you can not really drop down, I mean, I, I don't have the TV dollars right in front of me, but I can't imagine that CUSA's TV deal is much better from an exposure or money standpoint than the Sun Belt. And I'm sure the Sun Belt would welcome those two usually successful teams into the league. Um, but this, you know, I did not see CUSA being the league that would get squeezed out here. Um, but I guess if you think about it, it makes a lot of sense because they are kind of the middle, you know, you take the AAC and then the, the Mac is its own thing. And the Mountain West and the AAC are clearly the two best group, group of five leagues. And then you have the Mac that basically beats itself up every year. They never have an undefeated team and they just kind of, everybody goes nine and three or 10 and two, um. But if you look at it, CUSA is in some ways, and I make this comparison in my other line of work all the time, you know, if the AAC and the Ma- and the Mountain West are Target, and it's a little unfair, but Sunbelt is Walmart, then that puts Conference USA in that Kmart category. And, you know, Kmart could never be Target, and they didn't want to be Walmart. So they eventually got squeezed out of the of the industry. And Brian, I feel kind of like that's what's happening here is you're getting pressure from the top and from the bottom and CUSA just can't hold it together.
2: Yeah. It's going to be interesting. You know what they do. I, I know. What was that uh, the CSA and, and another conference talking about like, like
1: realigning. You well, know, no, that, so that was all CUSA <laughs> and they took it to the AAC and the AAC is like, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> not happening. Cause I knew um, they
2: were, you know, to, to rate them. Yeah. yeah I you you kind of feel bad for some of those schools because I think you know La Tech is a good program. Um, you know Southern Miss has been you know a good program in the past, and I think well, Hall will will get them there. But yeah, I mean, what do you do? Uh, you know, I can definitely see them because if you, if you take those good schools and, and drop them, quote unquote, drop them down to the Sun Belt, then but Sun Belt can actually get you know more money for their TV uh, contract, and you know we'll we'll see what ha- what happens. But yeah, I can I think this should. Could the, could the conference USA totally go away? You know, I'm not sure, but you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see if maybe some type of merger with somebody else.
1: Yeah. But I mean, there's really nothing much left. Um, you know, I guess Marshall goes to the back to the Mac um, and you've got FIU sitting out there and I think the Sunbelt would obviously welcome them in, but you know, what are schools like middle and UTEP going to do? You know, that's, that's the, that's the rough part of this is, you're going to have some schools that are going to legitimately be left out you know somebody like utep might be forced to go independent you know cuz no nobody i don't think this is a surprise to anybody but even conference usa nobody wants utep because it is such a travel nightmare to go out there and it's just logistically incredibly difficult and nobody
2: the tv uh, sorry to interrupt real quick the, the tv payouts from what i can find Uh, Conference USA is roughly, and this looks like it came out, uh, but it says 2.8 million roughly per school. Obviously, that's going to go down, but the Sun Belt is roughly a million. Um, From 2018, it said anywhere from 475 to 500,000 per school. And then in 2021, it looks like uh, they expanded the Meteorite's partnership with ESPN. It says it's going to result in a 50% increase. So you take that 500,000, you know, it's only a million. So it's, I don't know, will, will Conference USA try to rate Sunbelt since they have the, the higher TV package?
1: Who but are, it is, a, is a Conference USA without UTSA, Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, UAB, North Texas, and Rice, is that league still worth $2.8 million a year? I don't think it is. I think a couple of those schools drop down to the Sun Belt, and the Sun Belt jumps up to $1.5 million because, again, this would be another great way for ESPN to save money. They say, you know what, we're going to take the best of this one and the best of this one and put it together, and the rest of you guys, screw you, you're on your own. Um, but, you know, I don't think Conference USA has anything with ESPN. I think their stuff is all with uh, CBS Sports Network and is it Flow Sports or Stadium and all this yeah. Just weird stuff, but anyway. Ooh, yeah, always, always exciting time. Uh, I don't. The only thing I think is more exciting is silly season with football coaches. So, uh, Memphis did allegedly play a football game on Thursday night. Uh, they beat Navy thirty-five to seventeen in a game that took exactly three hours. John Maddox stamp of approval right there. Uh, Brian, what are your just kind of initial thoughts on the win over Navy?
2: It's. To me, Memphis fans have got to, you know, feel relieved. You know, going into it, uh, you know, I, I think two out of three of us um, last week picked a loss. Um, I thought it was going to be close, but you have to be happy the way Memphis came out. The way the Memphis defense played against Navy is the way I thought they would have played. That, that's what I was expecting in the beginning of the year, and it took them, you know, you know all this time. What was it? Uh, this is the seventh game into the season and they finally played it to, in my opinion, I think, you know, the the defense played a complete game. They played all four quarters. Finally, Memphis didn't get uh, outscored in the second half. It was tie seven, seven. (laughs) But if you take a look uh, at the way Memphis played against Navy, you know, on uh, Thursday night compared to the past two years, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, Phenomenal, you know, performance that uh, Memphis had. Five out of the uh, out of the six possessions resulted in touchdowns. I mean, it, it was a remarkable performance.
1: Yeah, and you know, we talked about that last week on the show that against Navy, you're not going to get a lot of possessions, so you have to make the most of it. And I thought, you know, especially Seth Hennigan goes eight of or eight of thirteen for actually eight of twelve for two touchdowns, one interception, two hundred fifteen yards. Very methodical. The Memphis running attack, basically the same way when you take Calvin's tremendous play out on that reverse. Uh, you know, Marquavius Weaver, 11 carries for 65 yards, and that and was a true 5.9 average because his longest carry was 12 yards. Brandon Thomas, 15 carries, 56 yards. Uh, so, you know, you had guys really just kind of Memphis kind of grinding it out against Navy, and that's really what you have to do. Uh, They held Navy to 30 less yards than their season average uh, on the ground. And, boy, that Navy team, there's something going on there. Um, Obviously, uh, Ty Lavatai got hurt two or three times in the game. He's just not in game shape. You just – you watch him play, and and he's just – he struggled all night. Only averaged 1.6 yards per carry, Uh, and then when – Savior Arline came in the game. He was not very good at all. O of one uh, passing, and he had let's see, where is his rushing totals? Yeah, five carries for seven yards. That's that's not a recipe for success for Navy when they have eighteen carries for fifty nine yards out of their quarterback. That's just not that's not going to get it done for them. Uh, Memphis, how about Eddie Lewis? Three big catches, ninety two yards, including a seventy four yard uh, touchdown pass and. I asked Seth about this in the post-game press conference because I thought it was interesting. On the play right before uh, the the pass to Lewis, they ran almost an identical route with Kobe Drake, or with, I'm sorry, with Rock Taylor, and Seth really overthrew him badly and almost got Taylor killed, if we're being truthful. But then they came right back with the same play to Eddie Lewis, and Seth couldn't have made a better throw. And, And what I asked Seth about was, you know, what 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 I really like about him is is he seems like even when he makes a bad play, short memory, just goes out and makes the next one. Um, but I thought that was great. And I, I I thought what I liked probably more than anything was it seemed like Kevin Johns, for the first time this year, had real confidence in what this offense could do.
2: Yeah, and the, and you know, I wonder how much of that was that the offense was finally clicking. Uh, It seemed like, you know, as much as the defense was on point, the offense was on point. Uh, I thought they blocked well. Um, You know, Seth Hennigan, yeah, he had uh, some uh, passes that were, you know, high. But I think for for him, this was, you know, not a coming out party because he only had 215 yards and two touchdowns. But I I think his poise, uh, to me, he, he showed more poise um, and it didn't seem like he was playing scared uh, and like he was in uh, previous games. So I think, you know, with, with that confidence, uh, that the players had, I think that's, you know, coach John's and, and this is, I think this is the first time in, in a you know, couple of games where I'm not questioning play calling. I, I mean, even, even all the, uh, all the drives, there's not, I can't pinpoint to one specific series where I'm like, you know, well, I don't know why he called this. So, I mean, kudos to coach John's. I mean, credit to where credit's due. I mean, we're quick to, uh, you know, pick on them if things go wrong, but uh, can't pick on them tonight.
1: We felt like we had a good plan. Memphis mm-hmm. had a good plan going into Saturday. And, you know, Memphis started that plan by receiving the opening kickoff with something I don't think Ryan Silverfield has ever done. And I don't recall Mike, Mike Norvell may have done it once against Navy as well, but he said in the postgame pressure, look, we knew we had to, get a possession wherever we could get one. And it turned out to be great because Memphis goes down and scores. And the Navy went on that ridiculous drive. i got to look it up because I don't remember all the particulars. Ah, oh, yes, there it is. 21 plays, 75 yards, 11 minutes and 50 seconds off the clock. Um, and they score a touchdown. And then Memphis comes back and scores a touchdown. And the Navy forced to punt their next two possessions are punt interception. Um, and then they kick a field goal and get a touchdown, but Memphis was able to kind of seize control of uh, of the game from that point. So, you know, I, I thought that was brilliant on Coach Silverfield's part to go ahead and take the ball. I was scratching my head a little bit at the start, but then it made a lot of sense once you think about it. Because, again, like you said, Memphis had – let's see. Uh, Memphis ended up with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine drives. Memphis had nine drives in the game, and – against, we said last week, you know, there's no way they're going to have 12 or 13 drives in this game because Navy took almost – Memphis got the football back. Memphis scored with 12-10 left in the first quarter. Memphis got the football back with 14 seconds left in the first quarter. So, you know, Navy – but then Navy was not – I mean, they went touchdown, punt, field goal, punt, half. Touchdown, punt, field goal missed, punt, half. Like, they – they just were not themselves, and and I don't know what's going on out there. I don't really care at this point. I'm just happy Memphis got a win. Um, and on the defensive side of the ball, you know, we – we everybody knows by now, I'm sure, we t- text back and forth during the game. And you seemed a little bewildered at why the defense played better, especially when Larry and I said, well, playing Navies in some ways is a lot easier than playing other teams because you know exactly what they're going to do and they don't have the ability to spread you out and make you take bad angles. And you basically have to tell your defense, you block that guy, you hit that guy. That's it.
2: Yeah, and I really, I was, I, I, I saved myself for the podcast. And I, was, I was hoping Larry would be on because my rebuttal to that is, yes, you, you know, we all know that, but executing it, you know, the, I was impressed with this defense. It take last year's game. Last year's game, you know, uh, Navy had 321, you know, total yards. Rushing, rushing yards was 233. I mean, what they have, uh, you know, Thursday night, only, what, 198. You go back two years ago, uh, Navy ran for 291. So, yes, you know, it, it's you can break it down a little bit easier, but you still have to execute. And Memphis' defense executed – Way better last, I mean, on Thursday night than they did last year against Navy, and then two years ago against Navy. So that's why I, you know, I was, you know, thoroughly surprised on how well you know Memphis executed. Because yes, it's a Navy play assignment football, but they didn't do it last year, and they didn't do it year before.
1: Well, I think the big difference, especially a year before, is Navy had a quarterback that could make you pay, and. You know, Memphis went into this game with, with no defensive pressure because they, first of all, they knew that Lavaton nor our line is going to throw the ball. Um, the only guy that threw the ball exceptionally well was uh, Chase or Charles Warren on a fake punt that I still can't believe they pulled off. But Na- Na- Navy just seemed disinterested. Like, this is the first time I've ever felt like Navy was just disinterested. And I guess when you're one and four, I guess that's kind of a natural thing. But they made so many mistakes. Uh, let me go back here to the team. Uh, penalties. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking here at penalties. I'm wondering
2: how much of that plays into it.
1: Yeah, they. well, you know, Navy doesn't have – it's kind of like a train on the tracks with no conductor. Like, you can keep it on the tracks until there's a curve, and then that becomes – becomes a problem. And that's Navy's problem right now. They don't have anybody that can, they don't have anybody that can bust a big play because, you know, Mike talked about Mike James talked about this last week. Navy has, and didn't on Thursday, they haven't run a ton of real triple option. Most of what Navy ran uh, Thursday night was a lot of just left dive, right dive, a couple quick pitches. Uh, They ran a couple option, but even the option they ran, they didn't fake the fullback dive. They just went straight speed option or whatever you want to call it. It was really weird to watch Navy just like have no idea and no identity. It was just, it was really bizarre, but Hey, you know, I'm, I'm happy with how it turned out obviously. And I was very happy. Larry and I are both incredibly blessed and happy today to be very wrong. Uh, Zay Collins and JJ Russell just continue their assault on the tackle numbers for Memphis is Collins with 12, J.J. Russell with 11, Cole Mashburn with 11. Memphis also had four sacks in the game after going, what, two weeks without any real I, mm-hmm. I can't remember the last sack because a couple of those with UTSA weren't really sacks. The yeah. ball just flew over Harris's head a couple of times. But uh, Mo White got his first, John Tate got one, Rodney Owens got one, and Quindell got the first of his career. So, you know, I thought the, men, I, I was blown away at how well the Memphis defense played And I guess you're right in some ways, Brian, because it does come down to execution. But I think when you're a defense that has been maligned and rightfully so this year, um, when you simplify it for guys and you say, look, here's all I'm asking you to do. Cause I watched Cole Mashburn primarily. He hit the quarterback nine out of, or six out of 10 plays because that was his you know as the end man that was his job we played a lot closer to a four three on Saturday or on Thursday than we have at all this year Mashburn had his hand in the dirt way more than he's had it earlier in the year um but you know he just he had his job Quindell had a job Zay Collins had Collins Collins and Russell were all over the field um and I just – I was really impressed with the effort overall. I mean, I, I think that is probably the most complete game a Memphis defense has played this year outside of Nichols, of course. But, um, yeah, I, I think that this is definitely something to build on. And, you know, Coach Silverfield talked about that. We'll talk about UCF here in a few minutes. But, you know, talk about how important it was to get this one and, and kind of get it behind them. Uh, but, you know – when you you know you're outgained obviously on the, well Memphis actually there's the other stat, yeah. Memphis actually outgained Navy rushing 200 to 198, and it would have been more except we lost yards in the late in the fourth quarter. That was the only thing I kind of had a little consternation about. With about six minutes to go, we really went in the deep freeze. Now some of that was because Seth had to come out of the game. Uh, he was a little banged up. He had quite a big ice bag on his knee when he came into the post-game presser, um, but he's fine. He was back at practice, so, you know, no, no long-term injury worries there. Um, but they really kind of put it in the deep freeze a little earlier than I thought, but I guess at that point, Brian, you're just trusting your defense and you don't have a reason not to.
2: Yeah, I mean, you had the lead, and, you know, I know Memphis only had, uh, let me check here, I believe it was 36 yards in the, uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, but the good thing is Navy only had 33. <laughs> so even though your offense uh, couldn't get anything going, technically you didn't need to get going, but it would have been nice to have you know, more you know, sustained drives in, in the fourth quarter. But the defense still held Navy uh, to, to less yards. And, and they were uh, – one thing I was impressed with it was the defense holding Navy to one and four uh, on third downs in the, in the fourth quarter. So, you know, just to me, yeah, definitely a complete game. They finished the game. that's one thing we harped on, you know, all years. They're not finishing games. And defensively, they definitely finished this game.
1: Well, and they held Navy to 7 of 18 on third down just in general. And we were talking in the press box during the game. And and Navy is one of these teams, and and I I harp on it all the time. Second down is the critical down when you're playing Navy. Mm -hmm. Because what they like to do is three or four yards on first, and then three or four yards on second. And then that leaves them third and two, third and three. There were, I can think of a dozen times that Memphis got them in third and seven, third and eight, third and 12. Like that's just not what Navy's built for. They're just, and that's not, you know, saying that that's bad. That's just not who they are. And if you keep Navy in third and more than five, you're going to have a lot of success. I need to go back and pull the actual numbers. But you're going to have a lot of success on third and five. If, if Navy is facing third and six or more, five or more, they're going to struggle to convert that because they can't throw the ball. Uh, you really can't run that fullback dive that far out. I mean, you, you know, because Memphis did a great job, I thought, too, of just kind of hang, hankering down in the middle and just not letting that dive really get going. Isaac Roussos had 75 yards, but he only popped one big run, um, and that wasn't on a traditional dive play. So, you know, you did a great job. I just think uh, Mike McIntyre deserves a lot of, credit, a lot of credit, too, credit great game, great plan, game plan. plan, you know, to come out as blind as they've been, and again, rightly so, to just come out and say, you know what, we're just going to play Navy. We're going to simplify this thing, and we're just going to come out and execute and out Navy Navy. And that's that's really what the defense did was just – Keep everything in front of you, uh, keep good angles, you know, all that stuff. And I just thought they did a phenomenal job.
2: Yeah. Game plan. I mean, going into the game, I thought Memphis would have to, you know, I thought there would be more emphasis on passing. But Memphis, what only uh, was it 11 attempts? Uh, 12. At pass, 12. And, and, and you know, 34 rushes. You know, so yeah, they, they definitely had a better game plan, you know, than I than I did or would have because, like I said, I would have passed. And let me shout out to Sean Dykes. He only had one catch for three yards, but he was only targeted once. So this is like, I believe, the third fourth, straight. Was a third straight? Yeah, I thought it was fourth straight, but yeah. Maybe four. Third or fourth straight game where he's caught every ball that's thrown to him. And I think going into next week, he, he's got to be. It's good To me, it's, it's going to be vital that uh, he gets more touches.
1: Well, and and the other thing he did on Calvin's reverse is he got a block that essentially took two guys out. Now, it was a little questionable. It could have been a block in the back pretty easily, but um, I think the guy got his head around. And I think that's why they didn't call it. But, I mean, he hit one dude who slid in like a bowling pin, took out the 10-pin uh, of another guy. And, you know, we joked about it in the post-game presser, but, you know, Seth – really gets some credit on that run too because mm-hmm. although he doesn't throw a block, he gets in the way of Fago, and kind of
2: – here, But, yeah, like you said, yeah, it got in the way.
1: Yep, he, he just kind of got in the way, and Calvin just had a burst because it. if you just look, if you just stop a still shot when Seth kind of gets in the way, there are three Navy guys within two yards, and Calvin just turned it on, and scored it was a great run a great play a great play call that we haven't called this year at all and I I thought that was a great and it was a great time to call it as well as you know you want to get Memphis I think had kind of gotten in a little bit of a funk offensively and then Austin just took the last play of the first quarter uh you know Navy's coming off that long drive you get the ball in the last play of the first quarter and, and you know you call that that reverse and and it was it's just one of those things everything has to be perfect the snap has to be perfect Uh, Watkins pitch has to be perfect the line has to be perfect and all Seth had to do is what he did you just got to if you're the quarterback in that situation you just got to get in the way like don't go out and try to hit anybody just go out and kind of stand in the way and break things up uh and then you know like I said Sean Dykes just motoring down the field to get that block to send Calvin in the end zone I mean that's Something really special. So, Memphis beats Navy by a final score thirty five seventeen. A little disappointed. in The crowd disappointed, but not surprised. Brian just thirty thousand yeah. and forty two. But I, I didn't really. Ex- I wanted more, but I didn't really expect more.
2: Yeah, it was a Thursday night. I, I you know, in my opinion, if that was held, uh, you know, Saturday, I think you'd see probably you know three to five thousand more. Um, but th- those Thursday night games are they're, they're they're sort of tough to. Uh, <laughs> to get because i mean i know a lot of people work i mean it's i mean let's face it the memphis fan base is not uh you know i don't want to sit and say loyal but it's not as big as some other schools that will play on a thursday night and will sell out stadiums it just i mean it is what it is but if it's you know like i said that game was held on a uh, saturday i think three to five thousand were easy
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think you also have to factor in we had Memphis Madness the night before. And, (laughs) you know, that's a lot to ask on a school night or a work night to go out two consecutive nights. And, you know, look, let's just be real, too. Losing three straight games did not help that. If Memphis is sitting there at 5-1 and or 6-0 and and, you know, Navy comes to town, then there's probably 40,000 there. Um, But there were a lot of factors. You know, COVID is still a factor, whether we want to admit it or not. And look, 30,000 people in a 60,000 stadium looks, or 65,000 looks a whole lot worse than 30,000 in a 40,000 stadium. So, you know, a lot of factors. Wasn't really surprised. A little disappointed. Wasn't really surprised. I think next week's game will go a long way to determining the SMU crowd. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about next. So when we come back, uh, we will talk, Brian and I will talk about UCF. And uh, during this break, Eric Proces from MemphisWeather.net will have our first forecast for Wednesday, for Friday night in Orlando. It's the Tigers and the Knights renewing their acquaintances on Friday in Orlando. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Tigers Tonight. Hey everybody, John here, and while Memphis Tigers football is of course one of my passions, happy to host Tigers tonight. I do have a second passion, and that is travel. I'm a full-service travel agent, and I love to help families make their next great memory through an unforgettable vacation. Maybe that's a Caribbean cruise. Maybe it's a cruise somewhere like Antarctica. Maybe it's a idea of a great vacation is just laying by a beach at an all-inclusive resort, or maybe you've been dreaming of that trip to Disney. I'm here to help you make those dreams come true, no matter what type of vacation you're looking for. Hey, for Tigers Tonight listeners, I've got a special deal. If you book a vacation with me anytime during the Memphis football season, I'll give you 25 bucks off your vacation just for mentioning you heard about me on Tigers Tonight. In addition, I'll waive my normal planning fee of 50 bucks. That's just for our listeners here on Tigers Tonight. So just shoot me an email over at john at travelbyjohn.net, and we'll get the planning process started. Again, that's john at travelbyjohn.net.
0: The Tigers are headed south to Florida for this Friday night's contest against the Central Florida Knights. This is your memphisweather.net Tigers Tonight first forecast. And it looks a lot like you might expect for Florida this time of year. If you're going to make a short vacation out of it, we'll start off with Thursday. Mostly sunny skies down there in Orlando. The afternoon high around 86 degrees. Very, very small chance of rain. For Friday, skies are becoming partly cloudy. We'll see a high around 88 degrees in the afternoon. By the time we hit kickoff, it should be around 80, 82 degrees in the evening. There is a 30% chance of showers in the afternoon. That'll drop down to about 20% for the game in the evening. And the temperature's falling to around 76 by the end. And for the weekend, if you're going to hang out for a little while, Saturday and Sunday both look nice. Mostly sunny skies, mid-80s, and a 20% chance of rain. MemphisWeather.net is your number one independent source of no-hype weather information for the Memphis Metro. For routine updates during good weather and wall-to-wall coverage when the skies darken and storms approach, download our mobile app or follow us on Twitter. We are Memphis Weather one I'm U of M alum and meteorologist Eric Proceus. Go Tigers!
1: And we're back. Memphis and UCF, Brian, on Friday night in the Bounce House in Orlando. Opening thoughts.
2: It's uh, <laughs> That's my opening thought right there, just a grunt. I, there's a – I think there's a chance Memphis can upset UCF. Um, to me, UCF, uh, they haven't looked, you know – great this year i mean they're they're three and three so i mean they're they're beatable but you know i mean the, memphis has only beat them once you know since uh, they've been in the uh, since ucf has been in the uh, you know division one it just but i, I think it's going to be a close game i, I really do I, I think memphis you know has the ability to score some points um i i'm happier now that seeing that the defense played a complete game last week and going into this game, uh, you know, you kind of hope they, they have that same type of success. So at first thought, when I, when I, you, when you first hear Memphis is at UCF, you're like, Ugh. but when you dig down a little bit deeper, you're, you get more optimistic as when you start looking at things. Cause like Dylan Gabriel. Yeah. I don't think he even has a thousand yards. Uh well, so. he's out.
1: He's out. He broke his he broke his clavicle against Louisville back on September the 18th. So yeah. they are starting a true freshman at quarterback, Mikey Keene, who's gonna be a good player at some point. He he's gonna be an accept, another one of those exceptional UCF quarterbacks. But man, he you know, at least with Seth, he had the, the benefit of a full season. You know, he got to start yeah. at the very beginning of the year. And there was nobody that was really going to challenge him once Grant was down. Uh, so he was the guy. Well, you know, if you're Mikey Keene, you've been backing up Dylan Gabriel, who's arguably one of the top five quarterbacks in the country. And, you know, now you're coming in at, at, with Keene and he's, he's 62%. Gabriel was up close to 70%. You know, his he's thrown four touchdowns, four interceptions. Gabriel was at 9-3. So, you know, but it's not just the passing game that's kind of befallen UCF is they, um, they've they got 1,200 yards rushing this year, but last year, through I mean, they had 2,100 yards last season in a shortened season and had almost 3,000 yards in 2019. So this is not, and UCF's points per game are way down. They were at 42 points a game last year, uh, 43 in 2019, and they're just at 34 this year. Um, so, but a lot of things have contributed to that. And now we all know that if anything gets UCF right, it is the Memphis football team coming into Orlando. Uh, it seems like guys make these miraculous recoveries and and we don't get a – I'm not going to complain about the refs. I promised I wouldn't. Uh, we don't appear to get a fair shake most of the time. But, you know, one thing, Brian, that jumps off the page at me with UCF, they're just 40% on third down. Uh, they are – 32 of 79. Last year, they were at 48%. They were at 40% in 19, and you go back to 18, they were at 50%. So when UCF is really good, they're converting third downs at a high rate, and that's just not happening this year.
2: Yeah, and, you know, from looking at their film, a lot of their third downs are are not the third and two, third and threes this year. It's the third and six, third and sevens, you know, third and longs. And when you take a look at the, you know, who they played, like they lost the Navy, a Navy team that uh, Memphis just beat. And when you take a look at their game against uh, East Carolina, East Carolina had that game won, but lost at the uh, the, the last couple of minutes uh, in the fourth quarter, uh, they allowed uh, UCF to score a late touchdown. So that's why you, you, you at first glance, you're, you know, you kind of freak out a little bit, but dig a little deeper. You know, I think it's just going to be, a close like the Navy game and like the East Carolina game because Navy won by four and UCF beat East Carolina, uh, I think by four. So it, there there's a very good chance that Memphis can finally, because when Memphis won, wasn't it at Memphis?
1: Yeah, last year. Yeah.
2: So I don't think they, they haven't beat UCF in UCF nope, ever. Never
1: so, beat them in Orlando. So you know, is, and, they, yeah, they this, did. This might be our best chance since that Daryl Henderson team. This is a good chance for us. You know, we're talking about Navy and third down. Against Louisville, they were 2 of 10. Against Navy, they were 2 of 9. And 5 of 15 against East Carolina. Now, they were 7 of 17 last week against Cincinnati, but let's be honest, that was a 35 nothing game at halftime. And, you know, Cincinnati was basically playing guys off the – the cheer team were out there probably playing. So, uh, you know, you take out those first two games and, and they have just been abysmal on third down. Um, The other thing that's kind of gotten UCF a few times this year are penalties. Uh, They've had 37 penalties for 303 yards. They're averaging 50 yards a game in penalties. And um, you know, last year they had a lot of penalties but, you know, I, I just – it's not – it's another one of those things we talk about all the time, Brian, where it's not so much where you turn it over or where you have those penalties or, – or that you turn it over or that you had a penalty, it's where and when. And we saw it a couple times last year in the game against Memphis. They had penalties at the most inopportune time. And, and I think that's another thing that if, as you said, if Memphis can avoid the shooting themselves in the foot, You got to have a little hope going into this one.
2: Yeah, uh, because UCF they give up more points than Memphis does, only by a little bit. They give up thirty-two. Memphis gives up thirty. Total yards, Memphis has the advantage there. Uh, Yards allowed, though, that's where you know Memphis is giving up you know four hundred and some yards per game. UCF only three eighty-four. But I, you know, when I see that, but I'm optimistic because the way the defense played against Navy. You know, so I I think that gives the defense a a little bit of a boost. Uh, But, you know, yards, the the passing yards allowed, um, you know, UCF, I think, is only 207. So maybe that Memphis needs to rely on that rushing game. And, and, you know, Central Florida gives up 176 yards uh, per game. And, you know, that that suits Memphis well because I I think they finally – Memphis offense, that – when you saw them run the way they did against uh, Navy – you have to be optimistic. So going into this game, there's a lot of things to uh, to be happy about.
1: Well, and you know we we talked we touched on this last week. You know Navy's third in the conference against the run. Like they're not they're not a slouch rush defense. UCF sits at eighth. Memphis, of course, at sixth. So this I think Brian is a big chance for Memphis. I you know I think if they can get this one, that gets you to five and three, and then you have a Holy cow, talk about a much-needed bye week. You have a much-needed bye week after that. And then you have SMU, East Carolina come to town back-to-back. And then a trip to Houston, and Tulane's also in there, and I think I'm leaving somebody out. No, I think it's everybody. Yeah, because you have four left after this week. So you have a chance, you know, to finish the season strong, uh, especially since they got that Navy game. I I just think that was a huge win for them for their psyche, if nothing else, because – man, their, their psyche had just taken a, a beating. Their self-confidence had to have taken a beating over the last three weeks. And to, to me, like the critical thing was, again, going back to last week, you score that quick touchdown. Navy does what Navy's going to do and scores that long, miserable drive. And then Memphis, instead of going, oh, crap, here we go again, they get the ball right back and score on one play. And that kind of got them rolling. And I think... As we look ahead to the Friday night, you know, it's just one of those places we don't play well. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just a fact. We just, we just, I don't know. Something happens when we go down there, and all right, fine, I'll say it. We don't always get the best calls when we're in the bounce house either. Fine, I hate people to complain about officiating, but it's true. We don't get very many good calls down there. Doesn't usually go our way. So, but we'll see. Um, I think Navy or UCF is down a little bit, and Memphis is hopefully up a little bit. Uh, Memphis is 0-1 against Gus Malzahn. Well, no, wait, 0-2 against Gus Malzahn as he beat our brains in one year at Arkansas State. And then, of course, that fabled uh, Birmingham Bowl that we lost to Auburn in a, on a miserable day. Uh, didn't get a chance, totally off topic here, but didn't get a chance to drive by. Had to go to Atlanta this weekend. man that downtown area in Birmingham around uh, protective life stadium and top golf, that is incredible. That you know, kudos to Birmingham for pulling that off and just, man, it, it is beautiful. And if you've not, you know, we've gotten to go, unfortunately, we've been to the Birmingham bowl enough. I've seen it. Um, but I, we didn't get to go to the stadium yet, obviously, because it opened this year, but that whole little downtown area is, is just really nice in Birmingham. And, and if Memphis, Oh, I almost shuddered to say this. If the new stadium talk comes to fruition, you know, to me, the Birmingham model is the model to look at and go, okay, we can make this a cohesive downtown. They've got their basketball arena. They've got their football stadium. They've got a nice little kind of Beale Street thing going. But anyway, totally off topic. So, all right, Brian, we're not going to have a three-hour game this week, I'm afraid. I'm afraid this one's going to go closer to three and a half. So, let's see, at 922 Central, You will look up at the bounce house scoreboard and it will say.
2: I'm going to be optimistic. I'd say, I still think it's going to be a close game, but
1: I will say Memphis wins 32-28. I appreciate that. (laughs) And I hope to be wrong again this week, but I I just, they're going to have to prove they can win in Orlando. And that, God, I sound like some of these people on Twitter and that we're going to get a fair shake from the referees. I mean, that's, You know that it it seems like it happens there more than anywhere else. And, And I don't understand it. But you know, there have long been theories and conspiracies about how the American would favor UCF because they were the dominant team or whatever. Well, you know, UCF's leaving, so there's no benefit to that. But I just worry about Seth making his first start in a real road game. You know, he played at Tulsa, he played at Temple. Uh, let's see what Tulsa, Let me see what they lied about their attendance as 17953. there weren't 10,000 people there. Uh, Temple, how big of a lie did they tell? 28573. yeah, right. Um, so this will be I, I'll venture to say that there will be more people at the bounce house than there were in either of those two games combined. And that that concerns me, but you know, if we can lean on the running game, I've got UCF thirty five twenty seven. I just I'm I'm worried about the young offense because it's not just Seth, but you got Brandon Thomas who's had fumbleitis. Yep. And and my worry with this game is it gets off the rails a little early. Um, Very. I'm very. I'm equally concerned like I am about how Tulsa went down. Kind of got off the rails early, and Memphis got back in it. But just you know, if UCF gets up. 14, 17, nothing. I mean, they're gonna, they're gonna turn and burn. And, and I'm just concerned about the young offense going down there. But you know, as Coach Sales once famously told me, he said, the great thing, John, about freshmen is they're too stupid to be afraid. But then I'll counter that there are no freshmen really at this point in the season. Like, you know, everybody's kind of a you're a sophomore, game seven, game eight, you're a sophomore. So Brian and I are split. Larry's not here to, uh, join in the fun, unfortunately, but I have a feeling I know which way he'd go. Um, he'd probably side with me, I think on this one, which, and again, look, this is, this is not a knock on the Memphis football program by any stretch. It's they're just going to have to prove they can beat a decent team to me. That that's the other side of this. Like, okay, they beat Navy. Well, Navy's terrible. Um, Mississippi State's, frankly, not very good. Arkansas State's not any good at all. And, of course, Nichols is FCS. So they're just going to have to prove that they can beat at least a mediocre team because our losses have all been – UTSA got ranked this week to have been to good to terrible teams. So they, they've they got to step up and say we can beat a team that we're pretty evenly matched with, I think, Brian, and especially 1st twenty-two. They're pretty much very well. It's a good matchup for Memphis.
2: Yeah, no, it is. And uh, my prediction is it's based on you know Memphis continuing to play sound defense. So you, you know, I actually think Memphis can get out to an early lead in this game, and but we'll have to hold on. and And I, I need to see them do it more than just one game. You know, finish a game. You know, I, Memphis really needs to win this game. I don't, it's to me, it's not a must win, but you, need, if you don't win this one, where's the, you know, the win's going to come from? You it, know, it's, it's, I'm starting to feel that way because East Carolina is, is, is strong. Obviously, SMU is, uh, <laughs> they're, they're ranked and undefeated. Houston's going to be tough. I mean, you don't, you have no easy game left. Um, not to say that this is an easy game, but when you take a look at bowl, bowl projections, I mean, right now you're you're staring at like Hawaii Bowl, which, you know, selfishly, I don't mind. I'll take a trip to
1: Hawaii. Yeah, I bet you would.
2: <laughs> but, you know, you, you kind of want a more, you know, prestigious bowl, uh, you know, because early in the season, you was looking like maybe the Fenway Bowl, the military bowl against a, a better opponent. But you really don't want to, you know, go to a Hawaii Bowl to play Hawaii. I, I think to me that would be, you know, a letdown you know, compared to what Memphis has been used to.
1: And frankly, not even in Aloha Stadium. Aloha Stadium, folks that don't know, got condemned. So Hawaii is literally playing at a 3,500-seat football stadium. Uh, it's, it's a crazy situation. Uh, one more college football note uh, that came out late today. Uh, Nick Rolovich has been fired by Washington State due to not complying. Well, his religious exemption was not granted, so he was terminated today. Uh, he's going to make a great offensive coordinator for somebody next year. But uh, so Nick Rolovich out at Washington state. And speaking of out, we are out. I will be, uh, let's see, I will be on a cruise by the time you probably hear, well I'll be on my way to Galveston to go on a cruise by the time you hear this. And uh, I will be at sea while you, the UCF game is going on uh, but I'm sure Brian and Larry will keep you informed with that college. uh, Memphis basketball starts on Sunday. Is it Lane or Lamone Owen? It's one or the other just totally left me. Which one? Uh, let's see. (sighs) Lamone Owen is this Sunday at 4 PM at FedEx forum. Uh, And a reminder, if you are going to that game, you will need to have the clear app downloaded and your vaccination record uploaded because it is a requirement going forward of all games at FedEx Forum starting on the 20th. So just a heads up there. And then Memphis returns to the hardwood on October 31st on Halloween afternoon at 1 p.m. against Lane. So that gets you caught up on everything coming up on the calendar. It's about to get busy here for the next month, month and a half and uh, we'll have everything covered. Brian, what you got this week over at TSR?
2: As usual, we'll have the uh, PFF uh, starters grades for UCF and Memphis, but uh, I'm also going to – I've already started. We're going to talk to uh, some of the recruits uh, and the commits to see where they stand. Are they still committed to Memphis? How they feel about the season so far and things like that, so look for a recruiting update uh, very soon.
1: And Larry will also have the week that was in the AAC. So for the best co-host in all the land, Brian Moss, and our absent co-host, Larry Marley, this is John Maddox signing off saying, go Tigers, go. And we'll talk to everybody next week. Opinions expressed on this program by our guests and hosts do
0: not represent the opinion of their employers or the University of Memphis. This podcast is in no way endorsed or affiliated with the University of Memphis. Join us again next week for another edition of Tigers Tonight.